condition to gain something. You want to get uh, purity, or you want to get stream entry, or you want to get samadhi, or you want to get the jhanas, or you want to get arahant uh, realization, or bodhisattva, or you want to get enlightened, attain, achieve, and that's that's the that's the language of the world. And you find it even in translations of the scriptures as attainment, achievement is is uh, oftentimes how they come across to us. That you you attain stream entry, you attain arahantship and Buddhahood and things like that. But just for your own uh, um, reflection, you know, just, I don't find that a very helpful concept to me, this achieving and attaining. Because that's not actually what I'm experiencing in, in my spiritual life. I don't, it seems more like the whole thing of around the, the bhikkhu life is relinquishing. More and more you you realize the joy of relinquishing and 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 therefore you you're not getting anything you're not trying to get something but relinquish let go abandon liberate be liberated from all these cloying attachments this kind of world that sucks us up and and tries to kind of hold us to in prisoner in in all the delusions and foolishness of our modern society. Like it's pathetic to see human beings just wasting their lives watching television and uh, just sitting in front of a television set, drinking booze and and taking drugs and and just uh, their minds just being uh, cluttered influenced by uh, moronic kind of uh, shows. You know, you see, it's a pathetic when you, when you really contemplate modern society. So, the, like the precepts can be seen as a kind of, uh, you know, giving up things and trying to, you know, control your lust and your anger and all that as a kind of way of kind of holding you down. Uh, or you can see it in terms of it's a, it's a, uh, it's a form to use to simplify your life. It's actually simplification. Like bhikkhu, uh, bhikkhu line, it's very simple. At first it seemed complicated. When I first started studying the Vina, I thought, God, you know, all these rules, and they've got this 227 rules, and some of them I can't even figure out what they mean. And then, then you've got even more rules in the, in the, uh, Vinaya Pitaka, and, and then there's the, the customs of the monastery and they say rules, rules, rules and and don't do this and don't do that. And so it's just I remember when the monk uh, in when the Wapapong there used to be this one particular monk, the 
monk that used to read the Vinaya every morning. And because we had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning then, you had to meet at 3.30 and and you're so tired and then they'd, they'd, uh, we'd do this chanting long, we'd do a lot of chanting, then this monk would get up in the, in the seat, high seat, and expound on the Vinaya and, and I used to get so, used to make me so uptight and angry. I used to, just uh, feel such aversion because he he get very kind of uh, preachy and uh, in his in his style you know you can't do this this is an offense this is bad monks act like this <laughs> only kind of uh, style that just makes my makes me really uh, feel anger and resistance to that that's that way of uh, speaking so so then I thought well you know that's what 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 is this discipline really really for what a, what a, what is what is its value and is it just to, to, that I'm supposed to Obey and and go along with it, or just make life incredibly complicated by trying to filter out all these rules and keep them and worry about them and and uh, wonder if I've done it all right or if I've made a mistake or made an offense or whether I'm really pure enough? Am I really pure? Am I, there's some, some, some things I've missed out and that means I'm not really pure enough yet. I mean, that's, that's just endless, uh, you know, proliferation. You're taking something, making endless problems, complications around it. That's how it sounded in, in, the, in the beginning to me. So then over the years one learned uh, the Vinaya and it, and it became quite simple because it really simplified life. Like that you, you can't do all the things you feel like doing. Not, not as a way of just making you kind of blindly obey and conform, but in the long run it's just a, a simplification. For now, say at my age, uh, it's just the life is incredibly simple for me. What do you need, old man? No, you get roof over the head for one night, and meal, and your robes, and uh, just uh, you've trained, you, you kept within, trying to live within these restraints. And it's helped you to not make heavy karma. In the 32 years, I haven't really made heavy karma. I haven't done anything that bad for 32 years. <laughs> or anything that heavy. <laughs> so the karma I have made is relatively minimal, relatively neutral. In terms of um, maybe unskillful karma, maybe just... It hasn't been all that. It hasn't been really heavy stuff, have it? 
I don't steal or kill things or, uh, I, you know, I try not to lie or even be careful about exaggerated speech or, or uh, rhetorical hyperbole or, or uh, um, just uh, not taking any drink or, or uh, drugs. I used to like to drink. Very fond of alcohol when I was a layman, and uh, like drugs also, like marijuana and uh, LSD, and all. Quite liked all that. I didn't have any uh, sexual activity. Quite liked all that too. But in, in, in terms of celibacy, haven't done any of that for 32 years. And so then the then the. Uh, uh, Things of just uh, watching television, spending hours and just kind of sitting like a couch potato, watching uh, these uh, talk shows and all that. I haven't done. I've never seen a talk show actually. Never seen one. So I mean, it's. it's uh, it might, I think I'm bragging, but it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in what I'm pointing to is that in 32 years, the karma is relatively, uh, bad karma is, is relatively minimal. And in terms of good karma, quite a, a lot of it. And then toward just realization of Dhamma, you know, the, because the whole, the whole, uh, Attempt of the whole purpose of living this life was it was for realization, wanting to know the truth, wanting to be free from delusion, aspiring. I call it not wanting so much as like the word aspiration. I think is a better term. Is a desire nibbana or desire the truth is. It's not, it gives the wrong impression because desires in English is a kind of, it's not such a nice, doesn't mean usually associated with, with worldly, uh, desires, worldly wants. Aspiration is like the heart aspires to the truth. It's not a desire to have the truth, but an aspiration. So the spirit, isn't it? Like the word spirit, spiritus, spirit, aspiring, aspiration. Only this word always has in, in English and in, and from, from Latin root, and that is, it means the kind of the spirit of a person or the soul. That within us that, that longs for the, the, the real home or the truth or liberation, or nibbana, or salvation, or whatever terms you use. But it's the natural, natural aspiration. It's not a personal kind of desire. I want to get, I want to get to nibbana as a personality. That would not make any sense. As a person going to nibbana. <laughs> <laughs> so the personality is relinquished, and then the 
in the Masanga, notice the, there's the, the traditional form, the shaven head and the robes and that. The, this is like, and a lot of personality is conveyed through, through what we wear, how we comb our hair, you know. But in um, this form, this is a sign of relinquishing that, that right to be, express our unique personal qualities in terms of an external conformity. Internally, then, it's, it's dealing with what the way we are, you know, with what we have, the karmic tendencies, the stuff that, that we feel and experience individually, which is not going to be the same for, you know, for us, you know, that one person feels and thinks and remembers very different from the next. But the conventional form, the restraint, the restriction in terms of action and speech through the Vinay, and then the, then the um, tradition, say the Theravada Buddhist tradition, then the, then the um, practice of meditation where you, you uh, awaken the mind to the present. So awakening the mind to the present, as we said, the basis of that is like the, the body and the breath. And that's how you can always, no matter how far out you get, or how many times you get carried away or lost in your desires and fears and thoughts and emotions, as soon as you remember the breath, the body, the that's something, you know, that most people don't realize. That the, the moment you, you just look at and start of noticing, paying attention to the body as experience in the present. Not the body as a personal thing, whether it's male or female or young or old or attractive or unattractive or what, but as, as experience. And I can't see whether I'm attractive or not right now. <laughs> I can't see my own face. <clears throat> but I can certainly be aware of the body as experience. And it's like this. And then I'm aware of it. The sitting of the spine of the where the hands are, where the feet are, the pressure uh on the body sitting on the seat and and uh, whether it's hot feels hot or cold or neither or suddenly they're aware of the body or the sensations the tensions that are now you know that one is uh, experiencing in the present sitting standing walking lying down and the breath inhalation exhalation so trust in that, that is something that, that you can always use to, to when, when you get carried away, lost into all the complications of, of relationships and duties and responsibilities and society and work and 
obligations and habits and, and endless problems, crises. Just suddenly they stop and the, the body, the breath, the sound of silence. This will always bring you in, will, will center you again. And your, your mind is, is then in this intuitive awareness of the present. Remember, intuitive awareness is not a critical faculty. So you're not, you're not criticizing anything. You're just aware of it. It's like this. If it's pleasant or unpleasant or confused or peaceful or whatever, it isn't, it's not the issue. It's like this. The way it is. That's what we mindfulness. We bring into our, into the present, like the, into the mind right now, the way it is. The body's like this. And, and now, the, you know, that's very easy now. It used to be difficult because I used to always, I'd always be thinking and caught in trying to figure out what way is the body right now, you know, with thought. And then trying to think about it, think about my body, the way it is right now. And then and be, and I'd be, so I was so caught up in thinking all the time, figuring out things with thinking, uh, that my intuitive uh, ability was very limited at first. Then suddenly realizing that, you know, just, you just get confused all the time trying to figure out what your body's like with thought in the present. You know, it, it's much more simple than that. It's uh, uh, watching it. I I just uh, where are my feet right now? And I'd ask myself questions. Of course, I know they're here in this seat. <laughs> and suddenly, I'm aware of the left foot and where it is. Yeah, and the way what's and then I said, where the right foot? And yeah, that's right. I feel it. I feel right foot, left foot. I feel pressure I'm sitting on the seat. I feel the pressure of my body sitting on this thing. I can, like this, or where my hands are, or how my spine is, or my neck, or just the sense of my, my head, face. So you're, there's an intuition, intuitive awareness, mindfulness, you're aware of the body. Because the body's always here, wherever you are, and then your body is, is here. It's like this. We have the four postures, uh, ordinary postures of sitting, standing, walking, lying down, which we use throughout the day and night. And we're either sitting or we're standing or walking or lying down. Then the, then the breath, anapanasati, you're always breathing. Now it can always be used, you know, as a 
uh, to compose yourself with the breath. The sound of silence, the ringing silence, always here. And so intuition can include all three. You know, it's not like, should I do sound of silence first or breath first? Or should I do the body first and then the breath and then the sound of silence? Or should I do the metta practice first and then the sound of silence? Or, the, or maybe I don't want to do the sound of silence, I just want to do the breath. Or the, maybe I should develop more body awareness. On and on like this, but don't don't make it complicated. Just just do it, you know. Whatever, just be aware. Well, how should how should I be aware? Should I be aware, um, you know, of the, the breath, or should I be aware? And then you get caught up with trying to think about it. It's not a matter of of choosing, but of awakening. So awakening is just like. Stop. The mind is is then poised. And then you can do you know whatever you feel like breath, body, silence, whatever. But then, and then one that one isn't you know cancel out the other. But it's just uh, learning how to to develop and sustain an awareness in the present through through these through these. Uh, kind of foundations that are rather neutral. Isn't it? They're not, they're not, their personality's not really, uh, doesn't get affected by them, like the body and its posture, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. It's not highly uh, emotive of, of me as a person, you know, or my breath, or the sound of silence. Then and we get into to Vedana um, and Jitta, as far as foundations of mindfulness. Vedana, you know, the, then we get a little more kind of. It's getting a little more personal. And Jitta is all the emotions. Vedana, pleasure, pain, and neutral. Oh, then. The personality is oftentimes very much identified with pleasure and pain, with with being happy or sad, with uh, you know, with being successful or a failure. And we seldom really, uh, you know, in the worldly life, or anything that's neither pleasurable nor painful, we just don't notice. It's just not a non-event in our lives. Just never notice. Things have to, in modern life, things have to be quite extreme for us to pay attention to them. So, you, you know, like television and the cinema is all aimed on sex and violence and things that really, very coarse, kind of stimulating uh, uh, conditions because they... We, that's the, that we can pay attention if it's really exciting. A lot of blood, murder, and violence, and sex. You know, you can, but if you just play, you know, like some of the more art films, where they um, 
They're a little more boring. Because there's not, maybe there's no sex or violence. That takes a little more cultivation, doesn't it? The concentration to, to, to tune in to something that isn't too extreme, you know, in, in terms of, of being very high and very low. So, the, uh, there's there's Vedana and Jitta, you know, we, we, uh, we're paying it, like with Vedana, I found it very helpful to, to really notice neutral physical Vedana. No, it's the, the, the touch of one hand on the other, or the, the robes touching the skin, neutral, you know, something I would never bother to notice if, if somebody hadn't said, why don't you notice neutral Vedana, Atuka Matsuka Vedana. I could notice pleasurable feeling or painful, but neutral. It took me a while to, to be able to connect to neutral Vedana because my my habit, my my whole way of relating to life was to seek extremes, and the the middle, the kind of neutral stuff was considered not worth bothering with. It's mediocre or boring or not worth you know paying any attention to unless it has some extreme uh, quality. Well, Gitta, the emotional uh, world that we have, fears and and uh, desires and loves and hates and uh, anxieties and worry, uh, jealousy and envy, um, lust and greed and and um, despair, grief, anguish. Sorrow, disappointment, uh, loneliness. These, these are the emotions. I would put these in the Jitana Pasana category. Or just neutral. Just kind of neither. The, the, the state of the mind is, 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 uh, Neither one thing nor another. Empty. So you can be aware of the emptiness of the mind. Or there's a kind of sadness. One, one recognizes a, a sadness in this realm. That, uh, this this uh, realm that we live in. Human realm. Mortal realm. There is a, a sad, naturally sad quality to it, because we know all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. That's sad, isn't it? That's really a sad thing. All that is mine, you know, beloved and pleasing, will become separated. And so. Uh, 
But, but that's the way it is in this, this realm. We have to see so much sad, so much things, so, so many, we have to be a witness to so many misfortunes and bad news and sad experiences and misfortunes. Like when the, uh, it's the Iraq crisis, you know, the Americans and the British wanted to go and blast Saddam Hussein, this incredible sadness of, of, uh, these people in the Iraqi people, you know, having to, to just live in this state of, you know, being victims all the time of these stupid powers, these tyrants and all that, and aiming horrible weapons and, you know, and you hear stories about, you know, they had in the, in the, uh, Guardian about this, uh, Iraqi man, man who's, who's younger than I am, and he, he, his wife and his daughters were all killed in the Gulf War in '91. They went to this shelter uh, to protect themselves from the rain, uh, and these smart bombs kind of blasted this huge shelter, and, and, the, and his wife and daughters, everybody was killed except him. It just sits all the time and can't, doesn't have any purpose to his life and just depressed by the, by the, the sadness of his, of his experience. So you, you know, you contemplate this, this realm and it's a, it's, the, the sadness of it, the thing that everything's feeding on something else, you know. The cats go out and eat the mice, catch the birds and so forth, and the birds catch the worms and, and the, the whole thing of just, you know, of, of, of a fear, this realm of fear, you know, where everything you know, it's survival in a way, you know, survival of the fittest, trying to, you know, get something to eat to survive, expense of something else. Contemplating this, this in terms of, of not, not as a judgment against anyone, but just recognizing that, that all this is rather sad in itself when you, when you, when it's in your mind. Just the, the the sadness of of each creature wanting to live and and live its life, and yet always this danger, this threat of being suddenly ripped apart or killed or losing your loved ones, losing your home, losing your possessions. But sadness isn't depressing, is it? And in some ways, it even sadness has a kind of peace to it. If you tune into sadness, it's not. And if you take it too personally, then you get depressed by it. But if you recognize it, the pathos of this realm, then it helps you to to realize that this is not a realm to seek rebirth in anymore. 
it's time to to uh, liberate your mind from the delusions of this state that we're in this world this society this this uh, human condition and so the uh, awakening the mind isn't it Waken, awakening our mind to the way things are not trying to stop the cats from killing the mice stop the birds from eating the worms uh, stop the sharks from eating whatever they eat and and trying to you know to, to organize the animal world the human world so that it is kind of uh, nicey nice and goody good then uh, every, everybody you know the, the lions are you know petting the lambs But in terms of our own uh, life, in, like in monastic life, isn't it? This bana di bata and so forth. These uh, the moral precepts. Isn't, suddenly, we're you know we're we're not participating in that realm anymore. It's non-violent, isn't it? We're not we're not going along with it. Even we feel it, you know. We feel. Uh, when you're angry or annoyed, especially like with with insects, mosquitoes, and rats and mice and people, sometimes you <laughs> want to murder them or kill them. <laughs> In the matter of the feeling, certainly is common enough, but but we've we've chosen to not follow it. But that's one thing. We're we're uh, refraining from acting on those kind of instinctual habits. Instinctual desires. So this is the great gift of our humanity, is that we can choose. We can decide, I'm not going to kill. doesn't mean we don't feel like killing, but we can decide not to do it. Whereas in the animal kingdom can't make that decision. They can't make a moral choice about killing. So I mean it's, it's, uh, and this is, this is the, the great, the, the grandness of being human. And that one of the beauties of, of this birth as a human being, we, even though we have the same instinctual Desires as, as the animal kingdom, we can we can we can choose to be celibate. No, we we can decide to refrain from sexual activity, where animals can't do that. They can't make that decision. <clears throat> So this is this is uh, you know so this this choice this decision to and, and it's not because there's uh, you know anything wrong say with sexual sexuality but we're choosing not to do it 
not as a as a as a condemnation, but as a way of reflecting on that kind of energy, getting to see the the power and the and the uh, the way that that whole that whole thing can take us over. The power of of our of the energies that go through our bodies, the the instinctual energies and patterns and habits. So that is, uh, then you, you do, you begin to re- recognize and see it, all that, and realize you're not sexual desire. And that is, the, that is the nature of the body. But your, your identity with the body is, is, is fading out. And so you realize you're not, the body is not self, and, and the feelings are not self, and the, Perceptions are not self, and the uh, mental formations are not self, and, and the consciousness is not self. So what you're doing is you're transcending through this awareness, as I've said many times before, this is a transcendent knowing, not a personal thing. With the restraint and convention and all that, it, it is a lot of, uh, you know, one feels anything that, that, you know, that restrains us from doing what we want, we, we can feel oppressed by it. So I remember in the early years at Wampapong just feeling oppressed by the monastic life there. Sometimes just feeling, you know, just being suffocated or smothered by all these rules and they have to do things in a certain way. And, but then, then eventually I began to see that that really wasn't, I wasn't being smothered and I just couldn't, you know, I began to let go of that view and to relax, you know, find a sense of, of internal relief and peace and joy within the mind itself uh, that didn't need to be to be rebellious or just do what I felt like or do what I want but was quite content with basic things with the breath with the silence with the body with with the meal in the bowl with the shelter for the night so in in terms of using the the uh, the form skillfully it's it's learning to relinquish to let go Uh, and because we do have this incredible powerful outgoing energy you know it's very strong just to to go out experience and get things and and do things and be somebody and achieve something and and it's, it's uh, such a strong uh, kind of radiation to go out, outgoing kind of energies that we have. And then the constraint, isn't it? <clears throat> the 
of the uh, monastic form means you, you're checked. You feel like going out, but you can only go this far. You can't go that far. But you're aware of that. You're, you're noticing. You have you have some way to measure, some way to stop this 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 uh, kind of uh, random uh, outgoing impulsivity to stop it at this point. And you can be aware learning to relax rather than to just get stuck in a kind of rigidity of suppression. You're learning to, you know, if you're meditating the right way, just trusting more in the, to relax within, to, to find the joy of being aware rather than seeking happiness all the time through external uh, objects. Because the, 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 the mind that is not conditioned by desires is, is a natural state of bliss. Pure. Uh, joy comes from it. Uh, like the Brahma Vihara, uh, the, they called the divine abodes or the pure abodes. Uh, they're like the natural, uh, way of relating to experience from the purity of the mind. The natural purity, not personal achievements in being being pure, but the natural purity of being in the present. Once you realize that, then the then the world uh, it, it kind of ability its glamour diminishes. It doesn't have the same kind of power over us that it did before when when we didn't know when we were still looking for happiness through through external uh, experience if I just have the right place the nice house the good job the the right mate the all this and that then I will you know have this happiness But uh, why, why did the Buddha establish the summoner life on alms mendicancy and, you know, like begging and rag robes, things like that? And you look at some of these other Buddhist traditions where they wear brocade, brocade capes and, and God, those are some really posh looking garments. And then look at our kind of drab Theravadan robes. Color of baby feces. That's what they say in the Vinaya, isn't it? Was to wear the color of the feces of a baby, kind of yellow. Look at some of these. I remember the Throstle Hole Prior one time, they had some of the robes they wear, kind of purple silk, and uh, different kinds of brocades and you go to a city of 10,000 Buddhas, they have, they have these kind of, kind of silky, uh, satiny, 
sangatis with gold uh, cruces in them, you know, little beautiful gold, uh, I forget what you call them, themes, and that. some of them are almost like filmy red, like like chiffon, kind of red silk chiffon with these gold, uh, really gorgeous things to wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when some Japanese monks came one time, they had really, really beautiful brocade garments. But then even in Thailand, the Sangaraja wears was the same kind of baby shit colored robe. <laughs> Sangaraja of Thailand. It isn't, it isn't, you, you would never know he was Sangaraja if you were depending on him wearing kind of ornamental uh, insignias. But another way that it, it, it does give the sense of of uh, of you know of, of this uh, relinquishing. And, And we look pretty scruffy sometimes, even like the Korean monks when Jesus in him comes, you know, he's really smart. They kind of, those kind of trousers he wears, all stiffly starched, and it looks immaculate and so, so impressive. I feel like a really frumpy and ragged next to him. Uh, really, really uh, good-looking uh, kind of uh, monastic gear. <clears throat> but this is they just uh, you know it's not really a problem for me actually, but <laughs> but just how uh, you know in some ways the it does help to have, you know, something that isn't particularly, uh, you know, something you really get off on to wear. And uh, wearing a robe is also another uh, good discipline because um, they're, they're really difficult robes, these robes we wear. They're really, you know... You know, they're always falling off. Or, you know, you're always having to refold it, roll it up this way, and and uh, a huge robe, and you're taking it off, and your your feet. Yeah, I don't know. You're standing on your robe. You're trying to move it out and roll it up and do this and that, and then it and. Uh, and getting on an airplane, I mean, you got bags and this, this thing on here and kind of keep it all in. And you, you think, I wish I could wear, you know, like these uh, sweatpants. So they kind of, uh, <laughs> track suits, things like that. You know, they're really easy. 
the the moment. And you can you know, like swing around, you know, you can swing from the trees and leap and jump and do all kinds of things. The robes are really, you know, clumsy and difficult and you kinda of hold them on and they don't stay and they don't always look very good and they and they, you're supposed to have the hems even, they're never quite even, and uh, all that. So, it, um, but in another way, I've learned how to be more, more patient through wearing a robe, and to walk and, and engage myself, my movement and my life around uh, what I'm wearing, and to keep it on, keep it looking all right. <laughs> that take that's a discipline. Learning to to uh, do that, and it's really I find in the you know now I quite like I like wearing the robe, but for years I didn't like it at all. Didn't you know I'd put up with it, and uh, you know I did it you know, kind of loyalty to a tradition, but I never never really liked wearing it. But no, I really, I quite, you know, I really feel a, a gratitude and respect for it because I realize it has, in so many ways, been a been a help to me because I, I am, in, you know, before a very impulsive and impatient person, very impulsive, you know, just follow every impulse and very impatient, you know, just didn't want to wait. Rather wear tracksuit because you you know they just you just put them on you can do anything you run around and and uh, jump up in the air and and uh, race after a bus or whatever and carry all kinds of things and and they stay on they're easy comfortable practical useful kind of garment but uh, but there's but then this is this is what I've I've had to use, and so this is this has helped me to slow down to to not just follow the impulses or the habits, or and it's reflected my own impatience, my not wanting to be bothered with with this robe, not you know not wanting to have to put it on or roll it up or. Do this or that with it. So, uh, the way of, of contemplating the the quality of this life, uh, restraining, not not out of uh, not to tyrannize or oppress, but to to uh, to eventually let go of all these these impulses. That carry us away, that that uh, encourage impatience and vanity and and greed, hatred and delusion. So then, then uh, more and more we we begin to appreciate, feel grateful, have a have a sense of of uh, real gratitude for the tradition that we're in and the and the 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 style of it, the form of it.
Well, this evening is the fitting, or welcome to stay till till midnight. Then we can all run back to our. <laughs> but uh, also, just to reiterate the the uh, the um, you know the. The basic, you know, mindfulness practice around the body, the breath, the sound of silence, the jitta, the, the mental state you're in. And they, and, and remember, intuitive awareness is not critical, it's not, it's not commenting. And you start commenting on your mental state, then you're not aware anymore. You're, 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 you're caught in your thinking mind, uh, and you're saying that your mood is this uh, shouldn't be or should or whatever. But if you're just aware of the mood, like this, like and you can you can be feel anger and be aware of anger, like this, or or feeling sad, like this. And so your the intuition is it's accepting what you're feeling emotionally, not not making comments uh, personal. Then it gets you get critical, then you start, then it gets very personal again about me and my habits, and I shouldn't think like this, and I shouldn't feel like that, and all I think is, and you're back into that realm again of struggling and trying to get rid of this and change that and become something. So in, uh, realize that the, the, that the intuitive awareness isn't critical. It's, it's aware. It's embracing. It knows the way it is. It knows that whatever state of mind, whatever mood you happen to be in, it is, you know, as you really accept it, you see it is, it's, it's a fluctuating, changing experience. So intuitive, that's why the three characteristics of Nietzsche, Dukkanata, they're, they're helping in this in, develop this intuitive awareness rather than, say, the analytical mind or the, the critical mind which for most of us is highly developed already. And that we're all educated people, critics of ourselves and everything else. <laughs> so I offer this as a reflection.